From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. They say you have to spend money to make money. And true as that is, or true as it can be, it can be tough to internalize when you're a person trying to figure out whether or not to spend money on yourself to make more money. Like, for example, let's say that you are a solopreneur or you are a busy executive and you're trying to figure out how and when do I spend money on someone else who can take over some of the things that I'm doing. And I know that that sounds kind of logical, but if you've ever been in that situation, as I have, as, I mean, I sort of still am, (laughs) I've taken care of it a little bit and then I have an assistant, but I'm still trying to figure it out. Anyway, point is, you start to get into this kind of crazy circular logic where you're like, my time is all booked up right now. And if I spent money on somebody, they could definitely take some of these tasks over But I'm currently so busy right now that I'm not entirely sure how to make money on the free time that I don't currently have because I haven't been able to spend any time trying to figure out what I would spend additional time on should I have had that time because I don't have the time. So how am I supposed to spend money to make money exactly? How do I do it? That's a great question. The first thing I would ask somebody is to understand what I call their buyback rate. And we will explain the buyback rate in a second. But first, that is Dan. Yeah, Dan Martell, CEO and founder of SaaS Academy. We're the largest coaching company for CEOs of software businesses. And I also run High Speed Ventures, which is my family office, and I invest in software companies. And you've got a new book. Yeah, Buyback Through Time, buybackthroughtime.com. Based on the buyback principle, which is we don't hire people to grow our business. We hire people to buy back time out of our calendar. So I call it calendar over capacity, because if we do that, we end up building a business we don't grow to hate. Sounds pretty good, right? Building a business you don't grow to hate. So, okay, Dan Martell, author of a book called Buy Back Your Time. What exactly is the buyback rate? How much should you be paying other people to take stuff off your plate? And to Dan, this isn't just some hypothetical question. This isn't something that you pull out of the air. This isn't you just kind of figuring out what your value is for your time or for someone else's time. This is a very specific mathematical calculation. Dan, when he talks about buying back your time, he is talking economics. He has a system. And that is what this episode is about. We're going to dig into exactly how you figure out what that tipping point is when your time is valuable enough that it is time to pay someone else to free it up. Coming up after the break. How do you find opportunities in hard situations? And are you ready to reach your wouldn't go back moment? That's what I help you do in my new book, which is called Build for Tomorrow. It's a guide to help anyone who's going through a big change in their work or life and is full of exercises, lessons, and big concepts you need to know, like how to work your next job and how to change before you must, along with stories from the smartest people in business and the history of innovation. Stuff that, frankly, I learned while making this podcast, and then I expanded to figure out how it can help you. Because this book is designed to help you thrive. Reinvention, it's not about grit. It's a process anyone can learn. And since this book has come out, I've heard from so many people who said it helped them figure out what they really want and then go get it. 
Build for Tomorrow is available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook, and you can find it wherever you find books, whether that's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local retailer, or jasonpfeiffer.com slash book. Again, my book is called Build for Tomorrow. All right, we're back talking to Dan Martell about how to buy back your time. And Dan says the first thing you have to know is what your buyback rate is, which is not some random number. It is actually the product of a specific calculation. And we'll start the conversation by him explaining it. Essentially, the amount of money that they currently make in their life in an annual basis, right? So if you just take like your income, and I always say like incomes, if you're a salaried employee, that's easy. But if you're an entrepreneur, it's usually like what you pay yourself, maybe your profit, any distributions, and then throw in the expenses you put through your business. You probably shouldn't put through the business that are like not core, but look, nobody wants to pay taxes. That income divided by 2000, that's, that's essentially your effective hourly rate. Like this is how much money you produce on an annual basis. The buyback rate is actually taking that number and dividing it by four again, because I want to get people four times ROI on their money. And then knowing whatever that rate is, if it's, you know, $100,000 a year in income, that's $12.50 if you do the math, right? But do that math part again, because I am an idiot. And as soon as you start throwing numbers at me, I get lost. So why am I dividing? I'm basically rounding up how much money I make. There's lots of different ways to think about what that money is. But let's just say we have a number. First of all, why am I dividing it by 2000? It's the amount of hours in a year. So so you take, Uh take the... Let's say 100,000 a year income that you make. If you're an entrepreneur, it might be 500,000. Let's say 100,000. 2,000 is the amount of hours on average most people work. That'll give you essentially like how much money do you make per hour based on the hours you work. And then four, dividing it again further by four allows you to kind of get a four times ROI on that time. You wouldn't want to trade. If you're making $50 an hour, you want to trade it for another $50 an hour. You want to trade it for $12 or $50 an hour. 50 cents an hour tasks so that you could then go do more of the $50 an hour type activities. That makes sense. So step one is to figure out what your buyback rate is. How much should you be paying other people to take stuff off your plate? Then what I would suggest is we look at what's called the buyback loop. So the buyback loop is, okay, I want to grow. I feel like I'm at a ceiling. Sometimes I call it the pain line, right? Entrepreneurs will not grow into pain. And when you hit the pain line, you have to do what's called the audit transfer and fill. You got to audit your time. Like, where are you spending your time? And all my clients, I recommend a time and energy audit. It's a very simple process. You literally log every 15 minutes what you did for two weeks. And then you take a highlighter, green and red, and you highlight in green things that give you energy and in red things that take your energy. And then use a dollar sign on the task. And you say, if I had to pay somebody else to do this, this is a $1, $1 sign task, kind of like a expensive or not expensive, like Google, like a restaurant, or is it a $4 sign? task, right? Like maybe doing something only like writing code might be a three to $4 sign thing, but like responding to emails, a $1 sign thing. Once you do that audit, then you have literally a bucket of things that take your energy and that would only cost $1 very low to have somebody else support you on. That's your opportunity to buy back your time. Then you transfer it. The transferring is unique in my world because I teach people to use this thing called the camcorder method, which is literally recording yourself doing the work, not hiring somebody and then training them after the fact. You literally record yourself doing the work. And when you hire them, then you give them those recordings, usually three to five typically. 
and then they create the SOPs. You're you're, you're narrating yourself doing the work, I suppose, yeah. because most of my work is. Um, I talk out loud, but I'm recording my screen. Okay. So I literally will just open up Zoom, for example. Like I'll, if I'm on my computer, I'll open up Zoom, share my screen, record, and I'll like if I'm processing emails or doing creative work or creating even creating a pitch deck or whatever. I'm just talking out loud. And I'm, I'm talking about why I'm choosing things. It's like, I use this image because of this. And I did this because of that. And the cool part about that is it's not extra work, right? I call it net time, no extra time taken. It's just, you're doing it and you're recording it. And then you actually have the outcome that you had to create. And you have the recording so that when you hire somebody to do that piece of work, you can just send them those three to five recordings. So that's the transfer side. So that's really interesting because you're capturing, it's, it's a great way of training without taking up the additional time, because it's funny, a lot of what you're describing here, part of me thinks that's very interesting. Another part of me thinks I don't have time for that. <laughs> so the idea, the idea is part of the problem with like my own assistant is that I haven't figured out how to set aside the time to show them how to do something. And therefore, I just keep doing it myself. Probably a very common problem. But can I just, from the perspective of, I assume that in addition to teaching executives to do this, you've probably seen what it's like on the other side if someone is an assistant, they can absorb what you need them to do without kind of laid out instructions. Like, do they find it more useful to have this, what is kind of a meandering, possibly hours long screen recording? I guess that's like a belief set, right? Like you have a belief about like, that wouldn't be good for them. But the truth is, is like, that's better for you. If you're buying back your time, you should optimize for you. And so my philosophy is that, so like even sales calls, right? It's like you can record your sales calls, give it to a salesperson, they can listen to those calls and then they create the SOPs. So like even like editing videos or editing social media, like if you're doing it today, just record yourself doing it and then have, well, if you're doing it, you could, but you're talking through why you're making certain decisions and here's the tool and the settings and I always set it to this. And so you're, you're, you're verbalizing what you're doing. And for most part, like, people typically enjoy it because they're learning a new skill. So, and right. the reason why I do it because it also, when they create the SOP, the standard operating procedures, they're reflecting to you that they understood it and you can see their understanding based on what they documented. Mm. And I just also occurred to me as you were describing that, that when you are sharing what you're doing and the reasons that you make the decision, then what you're really doing is actually creating some kind of flexibility in people's understandings of tasks. Because it's one thing to say, start at A, then go to B, then go to C. But then if somebody sees something and it doesn't follow that exact pattern, then they don't know what to do and they have to come back to you. But if they understand how you would logic your way through some kind of alteration to the pattern, then maybe they're more likely to just be able to figure it out themselves. Is that right? Yeah, I call that principles over process. I think too often SOPs are very linear and rigid. And the challenge is, is that's great if it's like a financial thing that never changes. It should always be done that way. But when you hire team members, you want to teach them principles behind the decisions we're making so that they have that flexibility, right? So that's how I transfer stuff off. And then the fill part is, to your point earlier, like, how do I know I'm making more money? Well, at the end of the day, whatever you currently do to generate income, you want to do as much as that as possible. Rob Deerdeck is a professional skateboarder and also the host of Ridiculousness. And he talks about this. and I love it because his income generator is 
shooting those ridiculousness episodes, right? Like he's, you go to MTV, I think it's like 90% of the programming is that show. He's doing 336 episodes new per year. And all he did was figure out like, where can I squeeze out time so that I only do that? And then it actually works out to only be about 4% of his year spent recording those shows. But now he did that to optimize his production, right, of him making money. And then you then, and everything else that isn't doing that, he buys back his time, right? So he can have other people support him in different areas of his life and his businesses. And so to me, it's, so once you've optimized where you currently make money, then it's investing, filling your time with things that teach you new skills to move up the ladder. So like maybe you're currently doing stuff and it's like, okay, well, the next level to charge more, the next level to grow my business, I need to learn this new skill. The other one is mindset because I think business is all about mindset. So like actually proactively deciding like, here's where I want to be in the next 12 months. What are the beliefs and mindset investments I need to make? Is it seminars? Is it books? Is it training? Fill your calendar with things like that. And then the third is relationships because at a certain point in business, it's a who, not how problem, right? It's, I don't need to learn how to do things anymore. I just need to have the relationships and the contacts to be able to solve problems. And that's usually the three areas that we want to fill to continue moving up the, uh, the replacement ladder and, and buying back our time. Mm. Dan, you just mentioned the replacement ladder. I know you've talked about that a little bit, but let's just step back and make sure that people really understand what you're talking about there. Yeah, so the replacement ladder is the sequence. So if you think about like the first principle of like spending money to hire people in your company, you're always wanting to spend the least amount of money to produce the biggest return in your business. And when I looked at this from a pure mathematical point, there's really this natural sequence for all companies. And, and the first level is any administrative tasks, right? We've talked about the executive assistant or administrative tasks. And the key there for me is inbox and calendar, right? So like in my world, I do not manage first replies or filtering any emails that come into my world. And I don't manage my calendar. I have somebody else do that so that I'm only doing things that only I can do. So that's a level one kind of replacement ladder. Level two is anything on delivery. So it doesn't matter what the business is. You might like, like if I owned a plumbing company, I might be the plumber. But when I say delivery, it's, well, bringing on a new customer, following up after the service is done, doing the invoicing, anything around the onboarding of a customer or supporting the customer should be done by somebody else, right? That'll allow you to do more of the thing that only you can do. That's the delivery. That's level two. Level three is marketing, right? So like at a certain point, all businesses, when they start off, the CEO, the owner is doing all their marketing. But as you're buying back your time and you're doing more of the work, having somebody else or even part-time or an agency be responsible for generating leads is the level three of the replacement ladder. And you want them focused on campaigns and traffic. Those are like the two key outcomes they want to focus on. Level four is sales. And sales is a cool one because you start to get this level of freedom. But with sales, you want somebody else to be responsible for, for calls and follow-up. And, and that's a tough one because a lot of uh, business owners think, well, I can't have somebody else do the sales call because they're, they've been referred to me. But like my accountant, he's a great accountant. But when I refer people to him, he always loops in a sales guy because he should be doing accounting stuff, not doing a bunch of calls and trying to answer questions and qualify people and follow up with proposals and all that stuff. So all of a sudden now, the accountant gets paid the most for his accounting. Somebody else does all the sales. And what's cool about that level four, if you get those in place, 
you're now, you actually have a business that makes money while you're sleeping because you have somebody generating leads, you have somebody selling, you have somebody helping with onboarding new customers, right? So like, that's the most efficient way to deploy money to hire people to get to a place where the business starts to feel like you're getting some freedom. And then level five, this is when you start focusing on leadership, right? Hiring people to own outcomes of departments. Maybe that's where you hire a part-time operations person to help you with like operating the business and the teams and the finances. So as the CEO, you're focused on visionary type stuff. But when I analyze all businesses and what's the most efficient way you can like spend money to hire people to work your way out of doing stuff, those are the five levels. I assume you are a level five replacer. I'm a level five across multiple companies. I mean, I, <laughs> I now buy companies and hire CEOs to run them. So it's a different, I'm definitely operating a different level, but I coach so many entrepreneurs that are just starting off and they have three employees and very little revenue because if I was starting over, Jason, just from today, if you took everything away yeah. from me and I was starting a new business, first hire and I would borrow the money to hire this person, it would be an executive assistant because there's, there's no way that with my relationship and knowledge that I should be doing anything other than phone calls, emails, messages, contacting people. And then anything that comes from that activity should be handled to somebody else to keep it moving forward so that there's no delay, right? If you just think of like the efficiency of pulling forward opportunities in a year, right? Like where if you're doing all your own emails and all your own scheduling and it takes you three or four days to get back to somebody and versus an executive assistant who's doing it in the same day, that should pay for that investment itself because you're, you're probably pulling forward three or four months worth of activity into the calendar year to monetize, right? Just by not being the bottleneck for follow-up and et cetera. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, yeah, I, I take this stuff pretty seriously. Yeah, sounds like it. So let me just ask you finally, is very interesting, this whole thing is very interesting. Something you said as you were describing the replacement ladder and you were talking about sales and you said, you know, you might get to this place where somebody reaches out and they got connected to you and you feel like, well, you know, therefore you're the person who's supposed to talk to them. But actually, it's, it's really the salesperson supposed to talk to them. I think that people, as they are figuring out how to replace themselves and how to bring other people into their systems, they feel like some part of this they have to do. It either won't be done the right way unless it's them, which I realize can just be a training problem, or that, that for the betterment of this relationship, it has to be them involved, that there is something that requires their time that should be offloaded to somebody else. And I wonder what you say to those folks and how much of that is true and how much of that is perhaps an inflation of our own sense of self-worth and how on earth to know the difference? Yeah, I mean, there, there are scenarios like if you're a specialist doctor, like you have to do the operation, right? But if you're also the same person that's doing accounts receivable in your firm or whatever, like it makes no sense. The way I think about it is I'm always trying to, that's why like the fill part of the buyback loop, audit transfer fill, it's about skills, right? Because sometimes it's, I need to learn the skill to delegate or I need to learn the skill to lead or I need to learn the skill to communicate better, right? And then the mindset is because I have beliefs. Some people have some like serious control belief challenges where they have physical, like I've had clients have like adrenal fatigue, stress levels, anxiety levels, having somebody else do something that they would normally do. And we have to talk through this, right? Because their default is to like jump back in and control it. 
But the truth is, is like nobody's ever going to do it as good as you. But 80% done by somebody else is 100% freaking awesome, right? And that's my philosophy, right? And if you don't have an executive assistant, you actually do. It's you and you are a very expensive executive assistant, right? So like there's these mindset beliefs. And that's why it's second on the, the Phil side that I work with clients to try to understand because if they can overcome those beliefs, at the end of the day, wherever you want to be in your business, if you have aspirations to be further and grow more, like you have to learn how to become the person who can deal with more. Like their problems never go away. You just increase the quality of the problems and you become a person who can deal with bigger problems, right? I call those like factors of 10 problems. It's like when you're small, getting an extra $10 overcharge on your cell phone bill is like kind of a big deal, right? It's like, I didn't like that. I'm going to call to ask for a discount. But eventually you get to a place where $100 problems or like, don't phase you, $1,000 problems. And I mean, you know, if you're Richard Branson or Oprah, I'm pretty sure like $100,000 problems, they don't lose sleep at night over it, right? Whereas for a lot of small business owners, it would be psychologically very tough for them to deal with. And that's the game that we're playing. We're always trying to like learn how to buy back our time so that we have more capacity so that we can develop our skills and our mindsets and our relationships to be able to build. That's why the subtitle of my book is Get Unstuck, Reclaim Your Freedom and Build Your Empire. I actually want to teach people how to do more of their craft because like at the end of the day, if you're a talented entrepreneur, I want more of your entrepreneurial output in the world, right? I, want, I, I don't want people to get to a place where they shut down their company or sell it because they hit the pain line, right? And they grew a business that they hate. And that's, that's typically what happens. So it's like teaching this philosophy of trying to do things that light you up and make you more money is just a healthy way to build a business. Well, Dan, I am glad that I was part of your day that you had to do yourself. Unless you somehow outsource this and I'm talking to uh, a bot uh, or somebody dressed as Dan. It's coming though. I can it, see the world. It, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Dan, this has been really great. I really appreciate your time. It's an honor. Thanks, Jason. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.